from Fox 8 Sports. You're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. From Fox 8 Studios in New Orleans, welcome into Overtime, the podcast for all things sports, all things Louisiana, and everything in between, alongside Sean Fazan, possibly Juan Kincaid, and John Bennett producing. I am Chris Hagan. Today we are talking a number of things. We'll start with Saints. The Saints. Dropped one of the 49ers. And then we'll get to more positive news with LSU. But first, a quick request and reminder to subscribe to the podcast. Also, please rate and review it to help us spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, hit us up on the Final Play app or the Tiger Huddle app. We love your questions. We love answering your questions. We love all the takes, the comments. Send it all. Mm -hmm. Your love, your hate, your concerns, your your, uh, anger at the refs, all of it. Mm. We'll take it on the app in the final word feature. But, Sean, let's get to it. Questionable calls, say what you will, but this was a game that I don't think was too decided by the refs. It was decided by a shootout that no one saw coming. Yeah, it's funny. You think you got this game figured out, and all of a sudden, you know, you're going in thinking it's going to be kind of a ball control, who makes the fewest mistakes kind of game, and it turns out to be a – Kind of an old school shootout where just shot for shot, score for score, whoever had the ball last was going to win. And unfortunately for the Saints, the 49ers had the ball last. You know, Drew Brees throws the pass to Traquan Smith. There's 56 seconds remaining, or 53 seconds remaining when he scores a touchdown. And under normal circumstances, you feel good. But given that game, we're kind of like, man, was that too soon? Um, and sure enough, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo helps uh, you know, lead the charge thanks to a George Kittle fourth down run. Uh, that was really just impressive. One of, uh, one of the more impressive downfield runs you'll see. Um, and, look, the Saints lose a game. But, I, you know, I, I left that game feeling, you know, you sense the disappointment, you sense the hurt. But I also sense, let's be real, those are two of the top two yeah. teams in the NFL. And those two teams could very well meet again. It could go differently the next time. It felt a lot like Saints-Rams last year. Exactly. And there's a high chance that, like Saints-Rams, they have a rematch. The biggest issue being, though, if things don't go the Saints' way, if they don't get the right amount of help and the right team winning in L.A. and Seattle and the way the NFC West shakes <laughs> out and who the Saints have a tiebreaker with now, if these two were to rematch, it may not be – in New Orleans. That said, as I think I heard on the radio tonight after the game, and this is this is for down the road, obviously, but there's a scenario where <laughs> Seattle wins the <laughs> NFC West, uh, or maybe the 49ers win the NFC West, and then you know Seattle has to go there for a wild card game and beats them, or you know something happens where one of those teams knocks mm-hmm. each other out. Right. If the wild card knocks the other one out, then the Saints would still get a home game, regardless. That's the biggest takeaway. Outside of the loss and the disappointment there is that the Saints no longer control their own destiny. They don't, but, you know, there's all those little scenarios that could play itself out. You just got to kind of wait it out and see. Um, But, you know, we all went into this game knowing that it was going to be a tough game, knowing the 49ers are going to be a tough team to beat, and they showed that. I think the Saints showed their resilient team overcoming. Uh, I thought it was one questionable call that really – bothered me and that was the call on CJ Gardner Johnson because that directly led to a touchdown and if you get to stop there obviously it's only three points instead of being up down 42-33 you were only down 38-33 at that point had they you know made that call but let's talk about controversial call number one because we found out today that you know uh, when you fake a punt and a receiver downfield uh, the gunner can there is no such thing as pass interference 
from the gunner on the receiver. Um, I understand why that rule is in place. Looked like he was interfered with despite what uh, the rule is because if you watch it and you know what pass interference is, it certainly looked that way. But, you know, I, I think I think the controversy masked what I thought was a terrible call by Sean Payton. It's 4th and 18. It's a ridiculous trick play when you talk about Taysom Hill back deep at punter. I mean, if you see that, you know you know it's going to be a, a, a fake punt. Secondly, it's 4th and 18. So it's not like even if you connect on the pass, it's got to be a deep pass. It's got to be a, a downfield pass, which is going to be somewhat of a low percentage pass. I, I, I didn't like the call. Um, I have to see what the exact score was at that point. But it I just thought it was 35-33 at that 35-33. I thought Sean Payton overthought it. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, and so, then the controversy kind of masked, masked what I thought was a bad decision by Sean Payton. And you said it a bit there, and it just dawned on me because, you know, Taysom Hill said it after the game, but they Taysom said on film mm-hmm. from what they saw, they saw something that led them to believe they could have that play on the outside. Whatever you saw was against a punter, an actual punter back right. there, not Taysom Hill. Right. And he said – they just played it differently against us. Well, of course they <laughs> of did course because they it did. wasn't Thomas Morstead throwing the ball. Like I, I'm gonna, I don't know what I'm, I'm expecting, but if I am San Francisco in that situation and I see Taysom Hill back there, Duh. my head is on a swivel. Duh. I am locked in to next level focus. Like what is coming? I'm not letting this guy out. Did of my they side. honestly expect? the 49ers to not realize that it was Taysom Hill back there. It almost felt like they were trying to catch him off guard because he's normally the up back and more so. This ain't 2018 right. where you can sneak Taysom onto the field. Oh, my gosh, he's, he's a tight end right now. No, this seven comes on the field. You got somebody there. Deuce, Deuce said that he thinks that they called that play with the strong, with the, with the feeling that they would, the holding call would be fairly obvious and they would get that call. Um, I don't know. Peyton didn't really clear that up um, as far as why he made that call when he did, uh, what he was expecting out of that call. But let's just say that Deuce is accurate and is saying that they basically ru- called that play with the expectation of a flag. I, look, if that is indeed true, that's that's the wrong approach. That is too big of a play absolute wrong and approach. too big of a game at too big of a time in the game to kind of throw yourself out there and hope for a flag. So – Look, I just think the whole execution was just, I mean, just at the end of the day, it's fourth and 18. You're not going to, it's hard to convert. Of all teams to rely on the officials right. to work something in their favor, I would not <laughs> expect it to be the Saints. And I'm I'm sure in, in, you know, in a Saints fan's absolute dream, there's all kinds of irony in a play going their way and a fl- them getting a flag their way that, works out to benefit the Saints and win the game, but that that wasn't the play. Just such a low probability of, first of all, the pass being complete, but second of all, getting the flag. I mean, to determine holding versus pass interference, because only holding could be called, not mm-hmm. pass interference, it's too slim. <coughs> it's too slim, and in a game like that, where you already couldn't stop the 49ers, your best chance is to pin them deep and ideally – you get off the field with your defense. Yeah, and, and at that point, you had made a couple stops in the second half. Remember, they came out in the third quarter. They were doing fairly well stopping stopping them. It was 28-27 at halftime. It was 35-33 at that point. So there was a little bit of a lull in the offensive explosion. In the fourth quarter, it picked right back up. Um, and just it was just a freaking race to the finish line. But 
I, I just, man, I, that's just to try to to have that as a part of the game strategy. Well, we're going to run this to, to get a call. Uh, that's just the wrong approach. Um, but look, on the flip side, all the, the <laughs> all the people out there suffering from the first world problems of the Saints offense leading up to this game. If you if you heard in, in our uh, pregame show today, I called it first world problems because of the the numbers they were putting up were still pretty good. Um, all your offensive concerns, as far as I'm concerned, should be put to rest a little bit against the number one overall defense, number one pass defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just you just put 46 on them, and, and Drew Brees looked as sharp as ever today. He did. Um, the offense looked sharp. They did it against the best defense in the league, and they looked really good doing it. They got Traquan Smith involved. Um, Jared Cook was on pace for a huge day had mm-hmm. he not uh, had to leave the game with a concussion. Um, as as we talked about at length, you know, amongst ourselves after the game, the only thing missing, Alvin Kamara. Just not, still not looking yeah. like himself. Man, th- I think I have officially moved to concern with that. Uh, I was still kind of waiting it out, seeing the ankle. And then I had he had the Tampa game where he, he had 23 touches, looked really good. Something's up right now. I don't know if it's game planning from other defenses. I don't know if it's because of that he's getting frustrated. I don't know if it's just – it's just not coming quite as easy to him, but the fumble was a lapse in, in judgment or a lapse in concentration, and it, it kind of spun the game because remember the Saints yep. had had the plus one on takeaways at that point, and it really put San Francisco back in the game. I just he's got to find his mojo again. He's just not playing with a lot of confidence. Yeah, and that's that's a tough part of the offense to to see you know suffer he's right such now a key cog. because it's 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 the one of the most efficient ways to have success when you look at the Saints' success the last couple of years um, and being able to get the Alvin Kamara the ball in short-yarded situations and have him turn it for big plays, mainly because he's operating in space, and, and right now that just um, doesn't seem to be the case. So, But like you said, the, the offense looked good defensively. Um, you know, you can look at it one of two ways. It wasn't their best game, obviously, but – as Coach Payton would tell you in a lot of these situations, not that he really said this a lot today. He didn't say much of anything after the game today. <laughs> he was in and out quick today. But um, in most situations, <laughs> I think Payton would say about this game, it's the one where you gotta you got to go out there and put another one on the board. Um, and that's what, that's what the 49ers did. And I think it's time to give a little more credit to Jimmy Garoppolo because yeah, – Officially with you there. He is uh, he has hit another level, and I think – his comfort within the offense has grown. Um, Kyle Shanahan's trust in him has grown. And then Debo Samuel has grown as a receiver. Emmanuel Sanders is healthy. And George Kittle is George Kittle. So uh, this 49ers offense is one to be reckoned with, but especially now that they're not just this ground and pound mm-hmm. and then play action to tight end team. They've got weapons, and they know how to use them. Man, and I got I got to tip my cap to to Kyle Shanahan today. Brilliant, he play was brilliant today. Um, a, this he knew the Saints were down linebackers. Um, B, he knew Dennis Allen is an aggressive defensive coordinator, and their offense naturally goes with that kind of that that flow and then cut back against the grain type of offense. A lot of misdirection, that sort of thing. But it just felt like every time he dialed one of those up today, it burst open for a big play. Um, I mean, there was big play after big play after big play. Every call he called seemed to work. And I thought Sean Payton was on point today as well with his calls, with the exception of going for two. I thought that was 
Okay, let's 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 divert that real quick. Did you did you like the two point call? Because when it happened, I didn't think it was necessary. I thought it was uh, too early to go point chasing. I 100% did not think it was necessary, but I understand it. I I I know it's it may not be fair to like you know straddle the fence here and be on both sides, but right. I I think my gut says too early to go for it. But the analytics and the fact that Sean Payton is the head coach and you know that they have got some plays that they truly believe in from one yard out, I don't blame them. I mean, I'm I'm sure in their mind and, and with their game planning and the hours they put in on some of those short-yarded situations where they've been really good these last couple of years, you see that opportunity, you've been waiting for it. Go for it, and, and then you force the 49ers to maybe chase points. Instead, it worked the other way around. And the Saints were in these awkward positions where, you know, obviously, we, like we saw at the end, a field goal wins it instead of you kick the extra point there and then you kick another one a little bit later instead of having to get that extra yep. that two-point conversion. You're up three. And it's a tie at that point. And then, exactly, you're playing for a tie um, if you're the 49ers. Here's the thing. I didn't – when it's happening, you know, I didn't think it was a terrible call. I would not have done it. And this is not hindsight. This is just I would not have done it. I just didn't see the need. But Drew Brees said after the game that what helped the 49ers were they were misaligned. So they had an extra guy. The guy that was supposed to be lined up with Taysom was actually on the opposite side. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's if Brees saw that. Take a timeout. Boom. Timeout. We're not getting the alignment we want. That happens all the time. Or. I guess you couldn't run the opposite because it was a flow going that way. Because a lot of times they'll invert a play and call opposite, opposite, and they just invert everything to the opposite side. guess you couldn't do that in this scenario. But still, I, I just thought, you know, little, we're down to little finite details here. And I just think – But that's what matters in this game. December football. Yeah. It's December football. I mean, okay, could you have audibled to give the ball to Kamara instead of giving it to Hill yeah. on the end around? Because – they had Mario Edwards in there lined up at fullback on that play. And if you're the 49ers, you're, I mean, obviously the, that's the decoy if you're the Saints is you're thinking you're going to run behind Mario Edwards and they give to Taysom Hill and you're banking on um, Taysom getting, you know, a good look from the edge to get into the end zone. But since you do see the misalignment, <coughs> why not just give it to Kamara? And it looks like they had a favorable uh, side of the field there. If they give it to Kamara, he could get into and the end zone. And he has a lead blocker. With Edwards, um, and it looked like when Taysom got the ball, he's running the jet sweep. He's supposed to turn. He kind of rounded it out, almost like he had it, was running, and almost like he was looking like he was rounding second base a little bit, where mm -hmm. he kind of yeah. turned. I was like, if he keeps kind of a straight line, maybe he's got a better chance at the corner. It didn't work out. They had like two, at least two free defenders over there, maybe three that yeah. were, that weren't and, being blocked. And I gotta say, they played the that the toss crack play. If you follow my Twitter. When I say toss crack, it's it's the Saints' bread and butter run play. It's the toss to the left or the right, and to visualize it. Now I know we're not on film right now. But just to visualize, the left tackle normally is Armstead, or right tackle is Ramchek. They pull, so they don't block the uh, the defense, the play side defensive end. And what happens is the wide receiver Comes crack in. blocks. Mm -hmm. Bosa either had a read on what they were doing, recognized the formation, uh, and and was just. And, or he, when the play was happening, he just he knew how to react. He was getting so far upfield that Michael Thomas is trailing him to try to block, and Teron Armstead on one couldn't even get around him to pull. They played that play about as well as I've ever seen anybody play. And look, that's Alvin Kamara's play. 
it's little things like that that I think it's adding up with him with his frustration. He's only been in the end zone twice this year. Somehow they've got to scheme him. It looked like it was going to happen early in the game because he got the first two touches of the game. But somehow they've got, he's got to figure out a way to be Alvin Kamara again. Yeah, and it would be it'd be interesting to see, you know, if you ever have time for a film study or anything, just how defenses are playing in him. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't take the NFL long to catch up with what you're doing. And we saw how effective Alvin Kamara was and as a rookie. Then in year two, he's even better and gets into the end zone. It just, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, just a, a ridiculously efficient rate. Like, are we seeing him come back to the average, come back to the mean of there's just no way that, you know, you can – you'll touch the ball this few times and have this many touchdowns because when you look at the running back position, guys who – last year, guys who were touching the ball 220-plus times – getting 220-plus carries, weren't getting as many rushing touchdowns as Kamara, who ran it less than 190. So is it coming back? Is it dipping below the mean? I don't know. But either way, um, you're right. They, they've got to find a way to get him in more favorable situations. Yeah, and, and, but he hasn't really had the same impact in the passing game either. And, you know, with the way the Saints run that offense, you figure that dynamic dual threat type, you know, running and uh, receiving, that's where he's, he's, he's deadly. And he just – both sides, it just does not feel like he's, uh, he's he's the same. He's just in the same mindset. I just I, I wish we knew what the problem was, but like I said, I've officially reached the point of okay, they've got to they've got to really focus in on this because th- this is just not not the same. And he's such a key cog in what you do on the, in this offense. But in the meantime, feed Latavius Murray. If it's not effective, yeah, if what were his numbers not, today? If um, Kamara's not effective between the tackles and. Latavius Murray is is as is very much between the tackles. Yes, and very productive there still. Looking at his numbers, Murray seven carries for sixty nine yards. And the 49ers, they're a little because they like to get up field so much with their D line attack style. They're a little vulnerable between the guards. Mm-hmm. You can run right at them, and that's what he was doing. And they kept trying to get to the edge, and it's like, man, that's where all the speed is. That's where all the athleticism is getting up field. So again. Look, it's hard to gripe when you score 46 points, but when you get to this level and you got these finite details. Yeah, um, it's it, and it's the flow of the game. I, I, there's going to be a lot of and and I'm not I'm not letting the defense off the hook. Yeah. I mean, you can't give up that many points. But um there was a turnover, the Alvin uh, the Alvin Kamara fumble that puts them in a bad situation. Um there were some things that that didn't work out well for them, but I think in the flow of the game, you you've just got to be able to to make this the small things happen. Um, I think the defense is in a much better situation if they punt instead of go, going for it on the fourth and 18. Um, without the fumble, that that would help. But if the Saints can, if you if you kick the field goal or if you kick the extra point instead of going for two early on, things might be a lot different. So um, little things, In little saying things that, though, way. I don't, I didn't, like I said earlier, I didn't leave the game upset or disappointed. I left thinking, okay, they probably. I think they went out now. I think they went out now because they've you know, the tough loss, but they understand what's at stake here. They'll respond, especially on Monday night against Indianapolis. Then they'll go to Nashville and obviously play Tennessee's Tennessee. Playing pretty well. Who's playing some good ball. That's an uncommon opponent. And then obviously Carolina, who's just uh, in a bad place right now. Um, but I, I think you're okay now. Where the seating lands is where the seating lands. You just got to roll with it. You had home field last year. Look what happened. So well, if you don't have it, so be it. But 
13 and 3 finish this thing out in a lot of years can get you the one seed. Um Seattle and San Francisco still have to play each other. Um Seattle and the Rams play tonight. Um and then you still got the Rams who still have to play San Francisco and all of a sudden the enemy of my enemy is my friend and if the Saints could ever root for the Rams, it's right now to go <laughs> in that NFC West and create some havoc and uh, you know, take a game or two off the 49ers, off the Seahawks, and then allow the Saints to, to work their way back up. The, just the, the problem is right now that San Francisco is a two-loss team with the tiebreaker over the Saints. So the Saints need Seattle to win and then lose one more because they are also a two-loss team. That way the Saints ha have the tiebreaker over the NFC West champion which would be the Seahawks in that situation. And it could be worse. You could be either Seattle or San Francisco and win 11 or 12 or maybe even 13 or and 14 then have to go games to this year and have to travel. So all, I mean, the, the circumstances are tough right now. But or I Philly, mean, I guess. Oh, Philly, right. Uh, <laughs> but at least with the Saints, you're guaranteed a home playoff game. We know what normally happens when you play a home playoff game, regardless of the NC Championship last year. Um if you get the first round, Bobby, you're the two seats, so be it. Um, deal with it when it comes. Deal with it when it comes. This is a good road team. This it, isn't – They have their playoff you know, road record is – I think it's deceiving. They're a good road team. Playoffs are different, but I, I wouldn't – unless it's Green Bay. By the way, uh, I'm not offense. overly fearful for the Saints of oh, going on the road in the playoffs. Right now. I don't know what the tiebreaker scenario is with Green Bay. Green Bay. Well, Green Bay has – one of their losses is an AFC loss. So right now they would be ahead of the Saints. The so Saints would drop to three. So they're at three right. Yeah, to three right now. So it's going to be either three, one, two, or three basically. But yeah, finish one. But yeah, well they're not going to be they're four. Not gonna four. Yeah, that's going to be Dallas or so. Philly. By the way, eight games with thirty more points, most NFL Saints offense. So for all the the naysayers out there about the big play <laughs> in the Saints offense, some of them came with Teddy Bridgewater. Exactly. He had what two or three like that. So anyway, look, tough loss. But I think they're in good shape, and um, man, you just gotta execute a little bit better. It's gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. Get these victories. Ten and three, you take it for now. We'll see how the next week plays out. All right, when we come back, we're talking Tigers in the college football playoffs. Stick with us. At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer, you're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love, a home loan for the people you love, or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, you're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. And we are back on the Fox 8 Overtime podcast with Juan Kincaid joining the conversation as we get into... LSU, the college football playoff in Tulane, heading to the Armed Forces Bowl where they'll take on Southern Miss. The Eagles. That's right. Uh, but we'll start with the Tigers. 
They are the number one team, the number one seed in the college football playoff. <laughs> they will get Jalen Hurts, a quarterback they're all too familiar with <laughs> from his time in the SEC at Alabama. Mm -hmm. The two-seed Ohio State, despite all of their campaigning following their Big Ten championship, they are number two. They get the matchup that, let's be honest, everyone was trying to avoid with number three Clemson, who might be the best team in the country. We don't know, but they are number three either way. Not what you want to face right out of the gate. Um, and as I mentioned, LSU will get the four-seed Oklahoma. So, guys, is this what you expected? Is this what we should see? I think most of us were saying, not just because of home bias, just because of straight eye test, resume, LSU should have been number one. I think a few weeks ago we had this conversation like we've done every week, and, and I said back then that <coughs> Ohio State was where they were supposed to be in terms of the polling because of the teams they had played. And that was that same time when LSU, they had beaten Arkansas and then struggled to stop Ole Miss but still won the game. They weren't playing very good competition. Meanwhile, Ohio State was winning games against ranked teams. Now, again, it's argumentative as to just how good the, the Big Ten is and their mm -hmm. ranked teams, the Michigans and teams like that. But – the eye test said then that Ohio State was beating better teams. Well, the last thing we saw yesterday between those two teams is LSU was whipping a pretty good Georgia team, but still not in LSU's class. And Ohio State was slowly, slowly <coughs> beating a Wisconsin. They had to come back to beat in the second half. They looked impressive in the second half, yes. So I think the eye test, based on what happened most recently, LSU deserves to be where they are at number one. And it was funny how – just you could tell the way that some people wanted to spin narratives and oh, versus yeah. others. Like some people are like, well, look at what Ohio State did in the second half. That tells you they should be number one. <laughs> so we're rewarding falling <laughs> down, you know, 14 yeah. at halftime. Come on, man. Look, it's, it's splitting hairs. But nobody wants to play Clemson. It should have been 1A and 1B, <laughs> LSU and Ohio State, and that's what it was. Look, I was surprised the move happened. 100% agree with the move, the the, uh, the switch where LSU surpassed Ohio State. But I just thought this this committee kind of felt like Ohio State was the default. Unless there was a reason to move them, they weren't going to do so. And I thought LSU came out and they absolutely smoked Georgia. Uh, they finished the game strong. The defense was phenomenal. Second week in a row. And Ohio State looked bad. If the game would have ended at first, that would have been no problem. Absolutely, LSU's getting it. And then they came, came away with a 13-point victory. And then I see all these graphics about the top 25 teams that they beat in Ohio State I'm talking about and this and that. And I'm thinking there's no way they're going to get moved. They LSU deserve to be moved. There's no way. Committee surprised me. They got it right. LSU's the top seed. They'll play Oklahoma. Everybody got it right. LSU fans, no need to complain now because uh, their team is in its rightful place, the number one seed in the college football playoff. What you said a minute ago about um, how – Ohio State had to come back, so we're going to reward them for the second half. Imagine if it was the other way around and LSU had fallen off in the second half and Georgia made it close within a 10-point game. Then we'd be having a different conversation to him because they'd be saying, well, both teams mm -hmm. struggled at different points of the game. And based on what happened the week before, we're going to give it to Ohio State. So I think the, I think the committee – LSU had to dominate, in my opinion. Absolutely. They had they to did. dominate. They had to dominate against a team that's ranked uh, third, fourth. They ranked fourth. fourth behind Clemson. Mm -hmm. And so it looks a lot more impressive than beating a Wisconsin team that you already whipped one time that year already. You so you worse against And you were supposed to dominate them, but you didn't. And, to show, half. and to show you how much the committee respects Georgia and respects LSU's win, Georgia only fell to number five. Right. right. Like you could have easily moved uh, an Oregon team up there or some others up there. Yeah. Uh, LSU, I mean, Georgia only fell to number five, and they'll be in the Sugar Bowl. So clearly the committee <laughs> showed that um, 
they think Georgia's, you know, on the cusp of being a playoff team right up there with the likes of Oklahoma. Speaking of which, and we won't – we don't have to totally go into a ton of this right now, but just your initial take on the matchup and um, how LSU might face an Oklahoma team that I think is I, I think is justifiably the, the fourth best team in the country yeah. and with a very talented offense, but at the same time – I think they have the deficient their deficiencies. LSU opened up, I believe it. I saw a ten, a ten point favorite. Uh, I I like the matchup. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I, I I think look. I think Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley. You know what you're gonna get up from them offensively. Defense is a little bit optional with them. I know they got a little bit better defensively, but. Um, Oklahoma is certainly a worthy competitor, but they're not on LSU's level. Jalen Hurts is not as prolific with the passing uh, game as uh, Joe Burrow is. Uh, I think Oklahoma's defense against that offensive juggernaut of LSU is not going to hold up well. And I do think um, the physicality of an SEC defense that's playing its best football right now wouldn't shock me if this first-round game, LSU took care of business pretty handily. I think the interesting thing to – to, to watch for will just be how Oklahoma game plans <laughs> to use Jalen Hurts' legs against mm -hmm. LSU. Um, that's been the weakness, I guess. They look at, at Ole Miss tape. Last time versus Ole Miss, right? And, mm -hmm. and, but, we, I mean, we saw Texas A&M attempt it a couple of times with Kellen Mond, and LSU did a pretty good job there. And so I think they, they've ideally learned their lesson. And likewise – I think Dave Aranda will have plenty of time to to self scout that area of their defense that's been gashed at times and and get better for it <laughs> against Oklahoma who, who like they have to attempt it. I mean, it, one, it's in their offense, Jalen Hurts running, but two, you'd be stupid not to at least test those waters and see if there's still a vulnerability there. I just feel like those Big Twelve offenses has a whole lot of space. No matter where you're running, no matter where you're throwing, mm -hmm. those receivers are awfully wide open. I remember watching a, a game last year with Kyler Murray. I'm like. Everybody's so wide open. I yeah. mean, the running holes are so open. It ain't going to be that way with an SEC school that's got sideline to sideline speed like LSU. Correct. So, um, respect Oklahoma. Uh, they deserve their, their spot, but I do think LSU is the better team in this match. I think, I think playing in, in Oklahoma's favor is the fact that everyone just can sit, could just assume that whoever gets that number four spot is going to be one and done anyway. And so I think they can use that as a bit of a motivator for their for their their pep talk, getting ready for the game. Like no one thought we'd have a chance in this game. That's going to be the conversation from Lincoln Riley to his players. Yeah. I will say this: I expect a lot of points in that game. It's going to be a fun game to watch. That offense is better than what they have at Georgia, which will test LSU's defense mm -hmm. more than what uh, Georgia did. Uh, I it's a better offense than Ole Miss's, and so and they have a better quarterback. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't. Jalen Hurts is a more proven quarterback. Yeah. He's, he's, he's been on the stage. He's been on the big stage. He's been on the stage before, and that's going to make a difference in this game. I, <coughs> I think it's going to be a lot closer game than we than we think it will be. I, I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. Take the over on this one. Yeah, he is. Hurts has been turnover prone at times, um, and I think that's something that uh, would concern Oklahoma fans. And and uh, I think the interesting thing to see will be C.D. Lamb going up against Christian Fulton and or mm. Derek Stingley, who had. His best game of the year at the right time of the year, taking on Georgia. And so uh, that'll certainly be interesting to watch. John Bennett, I believe, says Clemson is favored over Ohio State, which is, I mean, it's interesting, but it's not surprising. Clemson's had eight straight wins of uh, by at least 30 points over their opponent. Ohio State. Man, I, I got to tell you, I, I like Clemson in that matchup. Yeah, Clemson's receivers are juggernauts, man. Juggernauts. They got a running back. They got a quarterback that's playing all world. 
dominating teams. They're playing good football. And I just look at Ohio State, and I'm like, man, I, you just good. got too much love. They're, you got too much love, and you're not just not, yeah. as good as, not as good as everybody thinks you are. They're good. They're polished. They are sound. But are they elite mm-hmm. in one spot or another? I like Dobbins at running back a lot. I think Fields is a good enough quarterback, and they do what they do well. But I think in this day and age of college football, and as I've said ad nauseum, I think the way to win, at least in this season with the teams at the top, is you got to go out and score. And I think Clemson can do that. I obviously know LSU can do that. And I think Oklahoma can even do that. Not always convinced on Ohio State. I agree. I think Ohio State's a really good football team. I really do. You think they beat Clemson? Um, we can place a bet right now. And I'm not going to place a bet, but I will okay. say this. I, I, I won't double Sweeney shut up. <laughs> dude, we know that ain't you, happening, dude. We, That's that guy's stop MO. Stop complaining. You played in a crappy conference and shit. When my team, the Tar Heels, who were garbage, almost beat you on their Still home field. Still hanging on to that, huh? That's all I got. That's, That's all I got. <laughs> but but it's but it, it was the closest game they had all year. And again, they played great. But that should be testament to Clemson, right? That's that, that no. they they played one close game. A- exactly. And, and look, today exactly. But but, but, but to their credit, they smashed A and M. And A and M was supposed to be a team on the rise this year. Yeah, but A and M told me it's team on the rise every year though. A and M. But A&M disappoints you every year. But it's year. not their fault that the ACC it's was not, bad. And it's they not because everyone. Florida State and, 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 and Miami were not supposed to be this bad. When they came into the league about 20 years ago, they were much better. But they've been consistently bad football teams. It's a bad football conference. And Clemson, to their, to their own fault. It's a pretty good football conference. This was a bad year. A bad year. That's what I meant. Eventually, Florida State and Miami are going to be back up. Eventually, right? Well, you, well, you think. I get what you're saying, though. This yeah, year, but, 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 but to Clemson's fault, they were so good last year that we expected them to be so good again this year. And it's hard to maintain that. Mm-hmm. That plateau for the but entire they year. Were I, good. I know they, I, they were good. But, but, they but, just but, keep but, on but, but they're looked at as being very good this year against really, really bad competition. So no one knows how good they're going to be in this Final Four. But having said that, nobody wants to play them because yeah. they know their best game because is out there and they're they proven. they are good. Like, you can't say someone's not good just because they beat bad I said teams. if I want to. Like, yeah. they, they are still really good. I know. I know. They're, they are really good. And there's a reason why nobody wants to play them in the first game. They, we'll save the rest of this conversation yeah. for another day. Let's get to Tulane real quick. Yeah. Uh, they get Southern Miss. Did you talk to Willie Fritz? In the I did. Talk to Willie Fritz and talk to Troy Dannon as well. What they have to say, Juan? Well, Willie Fritz is uh, on the verge of getting a contract extension. Oh, and another Troy, one? And Troy Dannon says he loves it when other schools come after his coaches because it shows that he's hired quality coaches. And he also acknowledged that they've had to let go some coaches over the last five years that were not so great in their major sports, basketball, Obviously, baseball that was doing well f- for now. But they and, uh, haven't football. let go of the baseball coach yet. They no, pro- no, they have should, not. They have they not. Haven't. Th- that's that's another story for <laughs> another podcast. We'll, we'll come up, be coming up probably pretty soon. Um, but uh, Troy was happy about uh, the job this team has done. They both talk about playing in the Armed Forces Services Bowl. Um, that game um, uh, being played in Fort Worth. So both schools have military ties. Obviously, Tulane plays Navy and Army almost every year. It seems like. And um, Southern Miss, I mean, the Southern Miss game between Tulane and Southern Miss is going to become a four-game series in a couple of years. So they're just signing a new contract. So this is a regional rivalry. They're all happy to be two regional schools that play each other, know each other very well, and looking forward to it. So um, on the subject of going to back-to-back bowl games, Willie Fritz talked about that, you know, I'm disappointed on how the season ended, disappointed as the season as a whole. But mm. 
this is all about the building process and making another bowl game is a part of the process and I would agree with him on that. Well, look, what did I tell you guys a couple of days ago when we talked about Willie Fritz and the market for his services and how the school's coming after him? You said that this was out of Willie Fritz's That was camp, more of Willie Fritz's people creating a market for himself. It's a win-win. What happens? Either he gets another job that's bigger or ding, 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 what's he signing soon? A new extension, I'm sure a nice raise. Get well, that new money. So but I'm telling you, I, I'm going to bet Missouri and Arkansas had him on a list of candidates. Maybe we'll reach out to him. I don't think he was ever a serious candidate for either he one. He did not deny having conversations with other schools. And Troy Denton did not deny Willie Fritz coming to him to talk to him about it. I've talked to other schools. Uh, Missouri ended up hiring the, uh, the Appalachian State coach. Yeah. Just, re- just now. I, I, who did Arkansas, did it, has Arkansas named someone yet? I don't believe so. Not yet. Well, Lane Kiffin's back in the <laughs> SEC. The Lane train is in the Fresh building. Freshwater about to go swimming. As far as the future, <laughs> I think, you know, you get the contract extension, you build off that, and then ideally you build off a bowl game win. Um, the momentum's real, and I know there's a big, you know, six, seven, eight-month gap between playing a bowl game sometimes and your, your next, you know, meaningful college football game, but I think the momentum is real. We've seen it with LSU. We've seen it with a lot of programs. So I think despite their finish, if Tulane could, could win this bowl game and finish 7-6, and six, it helps vault them in recruiting and into the next regular season where I really think six wins ain't going to do it for me. Never won back-to-back well, Look, games. I think next year's a challenge because this is his first recruiting class coming through, right? This is his fourth year, correct? Mm-hmm. First yes. recruiting class coming through, <coughs> quarterback on the move. Now we, uh, we know This will be McMillan. his best recruiting class too. Very good recruiting class coming, but um, – I look, man. I think he, he's gonna. It's now. It's like, all right, this is my program. It, I mean, I think we've kind of felt that way over the last couple of years, but now it's really his new extension, good recruiting class. But uh, he's saying goodbye to a lot of leadership, and he's still got to find a quarterback. And I love Ibietta. I just don't know if he's gonna be ready to be a true freshman quarterback. Hopefully, he is. If not, they may have to go out and get a get a grad transfer like they did with uh, Justin McMillan. I think that may be the way to go. Keaton, so that, no? that, that way you're buying yourself some time to uh, get that freshman that comes in ready to go take over the program the year after that or two years after that. So I, I don't. Hey I, man. I think that that kind of that kind of move benefits a program like Tulane. Three transfer quarterbacks are in the college football playoff it right works. now. It works. It gets the job done if it's the right player. If you don't get that guy as a freshman, the All-American Trevor Lawrence. Hey man, hit that market, hit yeah. that transfer portal. You Nothing never know what, what, it, what can uh, what can come of it. Nothing Look wrong at Joe with Burrow. It. All right, that's going to do it for us for now. But before you guys go, a quick request and reminder, subscribe to the podcast. Also, please rate and review it to help us spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, hit up the Final Play app, the Tiger Huddle app. Shoot, you can send us an email if you want. It's on the website. Tweet us, whatever you need to do. Let us know. We'll answer some of those questions on this week's triple coverage edition of the Fox 8 Overtime Podcast, along with your prep concerns and questions going into the public school championship. So be sure to hit us up for now. That's going to do it for us. We'll talk to you next time on Overtime. At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer, you're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love, a home loan for the people you love, 
or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.